we'll be turning to Ephesians chapter 5 tonight. Ephesians chapter 5. Oh, and can I actually have one of my own notes? Thank you. So I make sure I give you guys the right blanks. Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, for some of you, uh, you know, uh, growing up here, uh, that during my early teen years, that uh, I went through several surgeries. Uh, so one of my nicknames from Pastor Art and Pastor Burgraff is hips, because I had about seven hip surgeries combined um, in about a four-year span. And uh, what ended up happening was my growth plates on the top of my uh, hip in the socket had slipped. Um, so the top of your ball joint inside of your hip socket, uh, there's a growth plate. And that growth plate started slipping on both sides of my hips. Um, and if it falls off completely, they have to go in and do a full hip replacement. Um, so the first two surgeries, they went in and they pinned uh, the growth plates in place so that they couldn't end up shifting anymore. Um, so those, those surgeries weren't too bad. Uh, they were definitely an adventure, but uh, overall they went really, really well. Then uh, my one uh, hip, the growth plate kept on growing, which it wasn't supposed to do. So it started out growing the length of the pin. So they ended up having to go back in, put a longer pin in, make sure they crush it this time so that it stops growing. Well then after that, uh, I would continue to go in for different checkups, different appointments with the doctor, um, and he would test how my uh, rotation and how my flexibility was, uh, how everything was going as far as my hips, if I had the movement that I needed. And uh, I remember sort of mentioning to him that when I would do things like rollerblading or skiing, probably things you probably shouldn't do while having hip problems, um, though they said I was allowed to do it, so it's not all my fault. But uh, I would have some pain and it would soreness um, in my hips. So they, they looked at the x-rays again, and they decided that my hips weren't aligned properly anymore because the growth plates had slipped, and that what they were going to go in and do was go in and break the femurs on both of my legs and readjust so that it would reposition and hold. Sorry for those of you that are a little squeamish. Uh, they, they would go in and they would readjust it and let it heal back together so that it would be supported more correctly so that when I'm, when I'm moving, it's not wearing down my hip sockets as fast, hopefully to prevent a future hip replacement for me. Um, so that all happened. But that was all because they were looking at the long-term welfare of would I be able to move, uh, how would my movement be, um, with, the, with the complications in my hips there. Um, for each and every one of us, uh, we, do, we do different doctor visits. Uh, for many of the children, for the teens, uh, they're required to, every so many years, even for school, they have to go in, they get a physical, they get checked just to make sure everything's okay. You have to get written that, you know, all that written off. Going for your driver's license, you need to make sure you have a physical. Some jobs you, you go to apply for, they want a physical to see how, you, how well you're doing. And you go into those doctor's appointments, and uh, they just do uh, an overall health screen just to make sure you're doing well. Uh, for many of us, uh, when we go to the dentist, uh, whether it be yearly, bi-yearly, once every five years, um, however often it is, uh, they go in and they check your mouth. They check to make sure everything's okay. Are your teeth okay? Are your gums okay? Um, are you know, all your, your fillings, your cavities, whatever you have, what, what is in there? Is it all right? Uh, do they need to correct anything? And they'll, they'll ask you a list of questions like, how often do you brush? How often do you floss? Um, do you use mouthwash? That type of thing. And they're, they're trying to get a gauge of how well you're, you're maintaining your teeth 
um, your gums and whatnot, and they want to get an idea of your health based off that. Then at the end of the appointment is always the fun part where they, they tell you everything you're doing wrong and everything you need to work on. Um, but they give you this list, this, this sort of this checklist of this is what you need to do to remain healthy as far as your mouth is concerned. And uh, I think many of us, when we, when we think about it, we would agree that we need to be concerned about our, our physical well-being. And that, that concern is what motivates us to change different things. Um, I know Pastor Art was sharing on one of the trips uh, with, his, with his weight, he was motivated to change his diet because he didn't want to end up uh, where a lot of his family was going. Um, and he wanted to be able to, to be a, a father um, to his kids for a long time. Uh, so he, he dramatically changed his, his eating program. Uh, for some of you, it, it dramatically uh, changes as far as what your exercise routine is going to be. Um, for some of you, you might cut out the dangerous uh, sporting activities that you do. Uh, but we, we take the concern that we have for overall health, and that motivates us to change uh, different lifestyles that we have. Uh, whether it be getting more sleep, whether it be exercising more, um, limiting uh, even the, the, the everyday things you do as far as like how you pick things up. Um, if you have a bad back, it's something you think about. You, you, know, you lift with your legs, you don't lift with your back. And, and those things, our health dictates them, and we change how we're going to live um, and how we're going to try to take care of our health uh, based on the condition that we have. So we would all probably say that's, that's something that's important for us. Well, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul's going to give us uh, basically a spiritual fitness test um, that we as Christians need to be living a lifestyle that is conductive to our spiritual health and well-being. And Paul's going to point out three areas that we have, as believers need to be walking or living in. And uh, he's going to give us these different ways of, of taking care of our spiritual well-being. Uh, one of my friends, a couple uh, here at church, they, uh, they do preventative health uh, checks every year, I think it is. Maybe it's every six months. And um, their doctor is very much trying to prevent uh, even uh, family uh, illnesses or, or issues that they would have looking at family medical history and whatnot. And one of the things that they told this couple was, there's some heart issues in your family, so one of the things we're recommending for you to do is, is to do some different um, strengthening of your heart, and the most basic one that you can do every day is, or at least uh, three, four times a week, is go for a walk. Walk for 30 to 60 minutes, just walk. Um, and that is gonna drastically help improve uh, the heart health and strength um, for long-term um, health. And uh, the same is gonna be true in our spiritual life. Paul actually breaks down, and I never noticed it before, there's a lot of verses in Ephesians chapter five that are very familiar to us. Um, and I never realized that they're almost all sectioned in with, this, with these three different commands and they all revolve around walking. Um, so tonight, we're gonna look at Ephesians chapter five. What is our spiritual well-being? How, how do we improve that well-being? And Paul is gonna give us three different areas that we're supposed to walk in, three areas that we can, as believers, uh, gauge our spiritual well-being, but also improve our spiritual health by doing these practices of walking. So the first one that we have is we're supposed to walk with identification. He starts in, uh, I'm actually going to jump back to chapter 4, verse uh, 32. But in uh, chapter 5, 1 through 7, he says, 
Uh, so starting in chapter 4, because there's a therefore at the beginning of chapter 5, which means we need to go back and sort of figure out why it's there. So chapter 4, verse 32 says, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. And then he jumps into chapter 5, and he says, Be therefore followers of God as dear children. The therefore going back to the fact that Christ has forgiven us, so now we are to act a certain way. So be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ has also loved us and has given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. But fornication and all uncleanness, our covetousness, let it uh, not be named once among you as become as saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you uh, with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. And Paul lays out uh, this, this passage for us, and he explains that we are to walk with an identification. We are to be an imitator of Christ. Uh, one, of, uh, one of the things that I did a lot um, in Turkey uh, during college was I, I took mission trips to Turkey uh, for two summers. We stayed there about a total of 12 weeks between the two trips. Uh, well, one of the things was when I walk around Turkey, I stand out as an American very much so. I don't look anything like Turks. I'm way too big. I'm way too tall, way too white. Um, and my accent is terrible. So I, I immediately walk into any situation and they all know, oh, there's a foreigner. And they're really good at picking out that I was an American. Well, we had one, one individual that was in our group, uh, Noah Lomax. And uh, he, uh, he, could, he could stand out in a crowd with everybody else. So he didn't stand out. In our group, he would actually go to the side because he could almost become a Turk until he opened his mouth and then they would sort of realize he didn't know the language really, really well, but he picked up on it really well. Um, for him, he could try to identify with the Turks, to look like the Turks. I couldn't. Uh, but as Christians, Paul tells us we need to be imitators of Christ. In verse uh, chapter, uh, sorry, chapter 5, verse one there, he says, be therefore followers of God or imitators of God as dear children. Uh, we are born into his family as a child of God when we are saved. Therefore, we are to have the um, family relation type of, of uh, relationship or resemblance um, as God's children. One of the things that runs very rampant in, I would say rampant in the Hitz family is all of the guys, for the most part, have certain characteristics that stick out. Uh, about a year and a half ago, we were at a final Friday, I think it was. Uh, we had a bunch of visitors here, and I saw this young man walk in the door, and I just sat there and went, he's a hit. He's got to be a hit. So I finally made my way over to him, and I was like, are you a hit? And he looked at me kind of weird. He was like, yeah, why? <laughs> It's like, you just look like a hit. Um, and I ended up figuring out he was either my second cousin or my second cousin once removed, however that works. Um, but, I mean, I would not have known him. Uh, it took us a while to figure out how exactly we were related, who is, uh, who's, you know, brother and uncle and everything else. But 
just because of what he looked like, I could tell he was a hit. Um, it was very distinctive for me. And that is what Paul's calling us to. He's saying, as children of God, we are to act and live like it, that people can recognize us and resemble us because of our um, family, our heritage and resemblance. Um, what that is going to entail in chapter, in verse 2 there, he says, walk in love. So we are to be identified with this characteristic of love. Uh, Jesus talks in John 13, and it says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We are to be characterized and identified by love, and Paul's going to call us to that. And the verb here that we are to walk in love, it's a present um, tense active verb, which means it's something we continually do. It's something that we continually have to work at, that we are walking in love. We see at the end of, of verse 2 there that we are to love and to, to walk in love, and we have this example of love. As Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sweet sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling uh, sweet savor. We have this example of Christ, um, and it's the perfect example. It's one we're never going to fully live up to, but we are to strive for. We are to be striving to have a sacrificial love and compassion for each other, just like Christ did for us while we were sinners. And that's the, that's the picture that we have here that Paul gives us of we are to walk in love. We are to, to seek to follow after Christ. Well, then he's going to give a, a, this sort of this list of what are we not identified as. Um, so we're supposed to be identified as God's family, but he gives um, three different groups of three in here that is not an identification of Christ and is important for us to look at. Starting in verse 3, what are we, what are we not to be identified as? Um, in verse 3 there he says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, uh, let it not be once named among you as become a saints. Um, so the, fornica the fornication there, it's uh, the rampant sexual immorality, um, the uncleanness, uh, could have the idea of just uh, general, unclean, uh, sinful tendencies. Uh, but when you put it in, in the context of the other ones here, with covetousness and sexual immorality, it has the idea of unrestrained sexual behaviors. Um, and then the covetousness, the inward uh, desires to have something that we don't have or to, to gain more and more. And uh, Paul, with this, this grouping here, goes from the, the outward fruit, if you want to say, this, the rampant sexual immorality, to the, the inward heart motive. Um, you have this covetousness uh, for things that you, you don't have or should not have. Um, and all of these, when you lump them together, it would be something that would be very characteristic of pagan worship back in Paul's day. So very clearly, this would be something that the believers were coming out of, that they were seeing around them every day. And Paul is saying, that is not supposed to be the identification that you have. That is identified with pagan worship. You are supposed to be identified with Christ. So um, not only don't do it, but the end of verse number th three there, he says, don't even let it be named among you. It's not what becometh of the saints. It's not what, what is a, a, a lifestyle of the saints. Then he goes on in verse four there. He says, he goes into not only our outward actions and our motives that we're not supposed to identify with, but even our speech. It says in verse four, neither filthiness nor foolish, jest, or foolish talking nor jesting 
which are not convenient, but rather giving thanks. And he's going to do this. Don't do this, but do this in this verse. And he says, even with our speech, our filthiness, our foolish talking, our jesting there, um, all three of them, uh, those terms are going to deal with uh, within this con- context, especially right after the, the sexual um, words that he just used, with, with a dirty mind that expresses itself in vulgar conversations. And he says, don't let that be part of your life. Don't take, um, don't take part of that with, with those that are talking that way around you. He says, but instead, give thanks. And it's, it's this um, contrast of, of what your motives are, what your heart is. He's saying, don't, don't talk about all this stuff that you, your heart and your, your flesh desires, but remember what God has done for you. The fact that he did die on the cross for us. And give thanks for that. For the fact that he, is, he has given us a system in a way that we can protect ourselves from the hurt and danger of the rampant following our own desires. Thank him for that. He says, instead of using filthy talk, make sure that we are identified by the thankfulness that we have. He goes on in verse number five then also. He says, for this you know, and, and the idea of for this you know there is, is very emphatic. It's this is something you know for sure. Um, and he goes on and says, this you know that no whoremonger nor unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And uh, studying this, this verse a little bit uh, was very interesting for me. Uh, all of those practices, again, are going to, they're going to revolve around the pagan worship. Um, so when he says there that it's, it's idolatry, it, it literally is, that was part of their practice, their, their lifestyle, their habit, when they were worshiping these pagan gods. And Paul's saying, no, we, we cannot be doing that. You cannot have that in your lifestyle. And he makes it very emphatic at the end there that they're not going to have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. Now, normally we would expect to find, he goes on there and says, and of God. Normally when we have the kingdom, it's normally followed up by the kingdom of God. And some of the commentators were, were saying here that the kingdom here could have two different uh, time frames, I guess, listed as them. So the kingdom of Christ would be more of the present age, and the kingdom of God would be the eternal kingdom that will be set up. And Paul's saying that this lifestyle has no part in either of those. If you are a Christian, this is not going to be part of your life. And if it is part of your life, it's proving that most likely you're not a Christian and you're not part of, of the kingdom of God. So he has this, these, uh, these different words. Again, summaries that we've already looked at. Um, the fornication would be the whoremongering there. Uh, tying back to idolatry. And he's saying that all of this, these different lifestyles and these practices, don't let it be part of your life. Don't let it be named about you because you are to identify with a different group. And uh, we'll see a little bit, uh, we'll jump there real quick. Verse 8, he says, he starts out in verse 8 saying, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now you are light. Um, the Lord uh, walks as children of light. And he, he's saying there that, um, that you at one time were partakers with these, this lifestyle that Paul just described. But you have come out of that. You are no longer in that lifestyle. And he's saying, 
because you have already come out of it, you are to be something radically different, therefore you should not be living or even associating with that lifestyle. Um, and Paul points out very clearly, we need to have a different identification. Our identification must be in Christ. It must be based in love. So what is our identification? Our identification needs to be, um, needs to be the sacrificial love that Christ has shown to us. Jesus boils down the law into two commands. We are to love God and love others. Love was important. And, and Paul is saying what should categorize our life and identify us as somebody different is love. And that is going to identify us as the family of God. Just like my second cousin walked in and I could tell right away, that's a hit. Each and every one of us should be able to walk into a room and people say, there's love, he must be one of those Christian people. And we might sit here and say, that's, that's an insult. Well, no, that's a compliment. <laughs> because that's how we're supposed to be living. That's what we're supposed to be showing is the love that God has given us. And then the thanksgiving that comes with, a, with it. Instead of our speech um, being crude conversation, uh, we should be thanking Christ for what he has done in our life and also from saving us from the hurt and the pain that this sin, if allowed to go unchecked, could have in our life um, and the dis- destruction that could come with it. Uh, with identifying, I remember a few years ago, and I can't remember how many years ago it is, I do remember the individual, but we were on a missions trip, and we ended up going to Times Square, and one of our group members had a fairly large pocket knife in their pocket, and they had it clipped so that you could see it on the outside of the pocket, just the clip, and after probably about an hour, hour and a half maybe of walking around, uh, he was always in a group of two or three because he had a really, really close friend there uh, that day uh, that was on the trip. And they were walking around. They were waiting for us outside instead of being in the store because they didn't really like shopping. And the next thing you know, two police officers stopped this one individual because they saw the knife. And they started questioning him because technically it was too large, so it was illegal in, in, the, in the city of uh, New York. And it was so funny watching, because I sort of saw it happen. And as soon as the police officers came up, that friend that was with him had no identification with him. He was completely gone. He was not going to identify with the individual that was carrying the knife. He completely walked away like he had no clue who he was. Um, And it was funny watching, because these two really, really good friends... There was that confrontation there, and the one was like, yep, nope, I'm out of here. I don't know who that is. Like, go arrest him. I don't care. I'll tell Pastor Art that he got arrested. Uh, but, but he had no identification. He chose to, to, to reject that identification of being a friend. How often do we do that as Christians? We say we're Christian. We say we are all about being Christian. But then when the confrontation comes or it's starting to become uncomfortable, we cut that tie and we say, you know what, I'm not going to identify as a Christian anymore. I'm going I'm to go my own way. And Paul's saying, no, we need to be identified as Christians and do so by law, love. The second area that Paul points out is that we are to walk with distinction. Starting in verse 8, he says, 
For ye were sometimes darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whosoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he says, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. A uh, very interesting passage, but there's supposed to be this distinction. Uh, this is a, a terminology that Paul doesn't use a whole lot. Uh, we find it more in the, the epistles of John and, and whatnot. John uses it a lot more, but this, this contrast between light and dark. Uh, probably a contrast that all of you have heard about, but Paul points it out in this passage and says, you were children of darkness. You used to walk in this. This is what used to char- characterize you, and now you are children of light, and there's supposed to be a distinction. Can you have light and darkness truly in the same spot, in the same geographical location? No, you can't. Okay, they don't get along together. It's either darkness or it's light. You can't have a mixture. And Paul's pointing that out and saying, you, we need to have this distinction. You were darkness, you have become light, um, and you need to live as children of light. You need to walk as children of light. And then he goes on in, in verse uh, 9 there a little bit with uh, what it looks like. I have in your notes, don't, uh, don't ask, can I do it or can't I do it? But ask, should I do it? And the, the idea behind that is so often we get uh, caught up with the, the mindset of, well, there's this certain um, practice or uh, let's say there's certain music I want to listen to. Well, does the Bible specifically prohibit it? Maybe not. But does it specifically encourage it? Maybe not. And we, we, we try to draw that very distinct line of, of black and white. Is it right or wrong according to the Bible? And yet, what we probably should be saying is, is this something that I should do? And um, we're going to see that in this passage. It was uh, interesting to me how how many times Paul kept on coming back to it, this idea of the association that we have, proving what we should do, whether it be um, of the light or of the darkness. So at first, we, uh, Paul's going to lay out a little bit of what it looks like uh, to live in the light. In verse 9 there, he says that, for the fruits of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So again, he's giving these three things uh, that should define what it is to be um, an individual of the light. Uh, goodness, righteousness, and truth. These are all characteristics that God himself possesses. He is good. He is righteous. He is true. And as we identify him and as we are changed by him, we are to also be uh, presenting these, these characteristics in our life of goodness, righteousness, and truth. He goes on then in verse 10, though, and he says, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. The idea of searching it out to see whether or not, to examine, to evaluate, is this something that is pleasing to the Lord? And this is going back to the idea of should I do it? It's not whether or not the Bible says you shall not or you should do, but we as Christians have the responsibility to say, are the actions, are the words, are the associations, are the entertainment, are the the job choices, every area of our life, is it something that is pleasing to the Lord or not? And it's something we need to evaluate. And Paul is saying we need to, to be uh, 
We need to prove this. We need to, to evaluate what is acceptable unto the Lord. And then he goes on in verse 7, he says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Um, so what else does it look like? We're supposed to expose the works of darkness. Um, both in our speech um, and in our lifestyle, we are to shine light into darkness and say, is this acceptable to the Lord or not? Um, again, going back to the idea of distinction, light and dark, uh, going back to Turkey, I could walk into the same area as Noah, and right away they, they knew I was an American. Noah could get by with, with being a Turk. And there was, to some degree, there was that distinction, that association that they had. Uh, Noah would actually go off on his own, so that, especially when buying things, uh, he would run off on his own because if he was considered a Turk, he'd get a lower price. If he was considered American, they'd, jump, they'd jack the prices up. Um, so by the end of the trip, we'd always send Noah into shops. We'd walk by a few times and be like, hey, Noah, that's what I want. Can you go barter with the guy? Uh, because Noah would just walk in and point to the item, and they'd automatically give him a lower price than if I walked into the store. And uh, it was sort of frustrating, but it was just the idea that it was very distinct. I was an American, he wasn't. It should be very distinct in our life. Are we a child of, of light or are we a child of darkness? Um, and we are to be proving uh, what that light is, what is acceptable to the Lord. He goes on, though, and, and he gives us some areas um, of what it doesn't look like to be uh, a child of light. Areas we are to avoid. And in verse um, 11 there, he says, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. So he's saying one thing that we shouldn't do is, is be having, doing the actions of this darkness, but also we're not supposed to have the association with it. We're not supposed to have the fellowship with those that are living um, unfruitful, in the unfruitful works of darkness, that are living in, in the useless, uh, unproductive uh, fruit of darkness. And this, this is where the tension for me in the passage starts coming in. Balancing the fact that we are to live in the world and show love to the world, and yet at the same time not be of the world, that we're not supposed to have fellowship. And how do we have that balance? And Paul's going to talk about it a little bit. But he says, we are not to have the fellowship with the unfruitful works of, of darkness, but rather reprove it. Verse 12, he goes on and says, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Probably going back uh, to the idolatry, the pagan worship, um, the practices, especially around the, the sexual aspect, um, they would have, would have done more so in private. They would have been uh, more of the hush-hush, let's not bring it to light. And yet, uh, the end of the, the verse um, 10 or 11 there says, but rather we're to reprove it, we're to, to shine light on it. So we're not supposed to, sh to speak of, of these shameful acts that they're doing because they're so heinous. And yet at the same time, we're supposed to shine light on them to be able to show sin as sin. Uh, Paul's, Paul in this passage, as we, we deal with it in multiple different verses, he's not saying that we are not to confront sin. That is something we're supposed to do. Part of reproving it is calling sin what it is. But what he is saying is we're not supposed to allow it to be part of our life in such a way that it's just second nature. 
that we're used to it. That someone could look at us and not know are we a person of light or a person of darkness and which side of this, this issue are we on? Are we seeing it as sin or are we seeing it as, as the norm? Well, one of the things, if you jump down real quick to If I can find it. I'm not going to find it. Uh, he talks about uh, not being deceived uh, by their empty words. Is it verse 6? Thank you. Verse 6. It's up farther. I skipped it. Um, he says, uh, let no man deceive you with vain words. Uh, so when, you, when you're tying this in also, it's easy for the world to, to motivate our thought, especially on areas of ethics and, and morality, to motivate our thought on homosexuality, on idolatry, does the world impact how we view immorality? It does. We're inundated with it all the time. So we are not to allow it to motivate us to the point where we, we think it's our right or we'll associate with it and not have a problem, but we are supposed to shine the, the truth of the Scripture on it and to expose it for what it is as sin. So we're not supposed to... Ha- to uh, to have fellowship with, with this darkness. We're not supposed to have fellowship with the works uh, that are done. We're not supposed to speak about it openly, second nature, um, not a, a bother to us, um, of the things that are done in secret. And we're supposed to have this distinction. And he goes on um, a little bit and says what it's, what it's supposed to look like a little bit more. But I want to stop for a second and point out there, we have hope. Um, and this was probably the biggest thing that hit me and it's also one of the, verse 14, 13 and 14 is a little interesting why it's there. Um, but it comes back to this idea of hope. We have hope. Uh, beginning of verse 8, we were darkness and we have become light. It's interesting that he doesn't say we grew up in a society of darkness and the society has become light. He doesn't say we, can't, we grew up in a circumstance or in a situation of darkness. He says, no, you were darkness and now you have become light. Uh, there's a hope. The transformation that God has done in, in every believer's heart is overwhelmingly amazing. And he offers that still to those that are living in darkness or those that are struggling even with um, making this distinction, walking it with an identification. But we have this hope the hope of Jesus Christ, the hope of the gospel that can radically transform our life. And we, uh, we jump down to verse um, 14 there, or 13 and 14. And, and when you get into the different commentaries, they're going to argue a little bit about why these verses are, are there. Um, but studying it, the thing that, that one commentator said that, that stuck out to me, if you read verse 13, it says, but all things that are reproved or the light is shine on them, are made manifest, they're, they're, they're exposed by the light. For whosoever doth make 
manifests as light. So this aspect of sin is there, it's exposed. Now that it's exposed, you can't hide it. So either you're going to live in the sin openly or you're going to realize, I don't want to live in darkness, but I want to live in life, light. And it goes back to verse 8, and you have this cycle. Light is exposed, or the, the sin is exposed by light, which changes a life, and then that individual has the opportunity of accepting Christ as their Savior and becoming light. Um, jump over real quick. John chapter 3 um, specifically talks about this. John chapter 3, verse 19 through 21, he says, um, this is Jesus speaking. He says, And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Um, they love the darkness because they can hide their deeds. Verse 20 For everyone that doth evil hates the light, neither uh, commendeth uh, or cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved or exposed. Uh, tying in again with what we just looked at. Verse 21 But he that doth, tr- uh, but he that Um, doth trust cometh to the light and his deeds may be made manifest or exposed that they are wrought in God. This is where the change happens. Sin can't be be called sin until it's exposed. And that's what Paul is calling us to. He's calling us to a life of distinction that our life is shining light into the dark world and saying this is sin. But there's a hope. We came out of darkness, but Christ can change our life and allow us to be light. And he's calling us to that radical hope uh, that we see. Um, Verse 14 is most likely a a baptismal hymn. Uh, It's it's argued a little bit because it says, wherefore he saith. So automatically you're thinking he's going to quote another section of Scripture. Um, But there's not really another section of Scripture that really matches up really well with the quotes. There's, There's different pieces. Um, from different passages that sort of put together is saying the same thing that he's going to quote here. But many commentators uh, speculate that this was an early uh, church baptismal hymn uh, that they would, would say as a testimony for, for what is happening. And it makes sense in light of, of 13 and 14 being this aspect that when light is exposed into darkness, sin is exposed, and then therefore the gospel can go forth and life can be changed. So verse 14, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee life. It's the aspect of Christ can change your life when, when, you're, when you're awakened, when you, when you are brought to the light out of darkness. Um, and it's the, it's the picture of the death, burial, and resurrection there, the idea of the baptism. Um, so most likely chapter four, or verse four, 14 there is, is a picture of the hope we have in the picture of of the baptism and a life that is changed. Uh, we say when many times when we're baptized, especially uh, Pastor Binkley is here, um, he used to say it all the time. You're buried in the likeness of Christ and you're raised to newness of life. Um, you're raised to a changed life. And that's the idea here uh, that, you in, that you find in verse 14 there, that we are raised to a life that is new, a life of light, not darkness. Um, for sake of time, I'll give you uh, the third point and, and a, few, uh, a few, I actually wrote your blanks in there, I think. Oh, no, I didn't. I give you blanks. Um, I'll give you the blanks real quick. Uh, but for sake of time, we'll let the, the children get dismissed soon. So number three area that, that Paul deals about or deals with as far as we are to walk. Um, he says we are to walk with intention. 
And this is found in verse 15 through 21. And I'll just read uh, verse uh, 15 there. It says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools but wise. Um, so we, we are to walk with intention. We are to have a, a purpose, a direction um, that we are to, to walk in. And you might say, well, how are we to do this? How are we to walk with intention? And he gives it to us verse by verse as we go down through. Um, a, in your notes, with wisdom. And we can see that in verse 15 and 16. I'll let you uh, look over those later. Uh, B, so not only with, we walk with intention, with wisdom, uh, but with perspective. We're to, to redeem, the di- redeem the time, the idea of buying the time, knowing that, that we have a short amount of time and we must use the most, uh, um, most that we can with the time we have, exhaust all the possibilities. Uh, C, with the direction of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we're not supposed to be filled with wine, but we're supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to be motivated, empowered, um, and directed by Him. D, with purpose. Uh, verse 19 there, uh, speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Um, we're supposed to have a purpose of ministry. Uh, e, with thanksgiving, um, and F, with humility. Uh, these are all ways that we can walk intentionally um, as Christians. For many of us, as we, we look at, okay, where are we at spiritually? And we take time to step back and say, okay, am I walking um, in in an identification of one of God's children? Am I, uh, am I walking with distinction? Am I walking with intention? Are those aspects that are true in, in my life? We might say, you know, some of them maybe, some of them I need to work on. How do you start? How do you start any exercise program to, to get healthier? You start. You start walking. Um, just like my friends were told, walk 30 to 60 minutes just to get that exercise, just to help your heart. There's areas that, that you and I need to start working on. It's going to be hard, but we just need to start. And over time, it'll get a little easier and a little easier. Our muscles will get built up, um, and spiritually, we'll become more and more healthy. Uh, for some of us, or for some of you, though, here tonight, it may start by going to the doctor and realizing that you have a terminal illness. And that illness is sin. Uh, we didn't talk about it a whole lot, but it's the foundation for this whole passage. The passage that we are becoming children of God, that we are becoming light. Um, that is all done when we accept Christ as our personal Savior. When we realize that we have sin that is condemning us to hell, but Christ came and he died for us. He showed the love that we are to, to represent by dying for us as sinners, paying the price that we couldn't pay so that we could have a restored relationship um, and hope with Christ. That's the, that's the start of it all. And if you're here tonight and you, and you don't know for sure that you've been, that you've been saved, that, that your disease of sin has been cured, that's, that's, a, that's where you need to start. And we'd love to be able to talk with you. We'll be around afterwards. Uh, you can come talk to us. We'd love to show you from God's Word um, how you can know for sure that, that you've been cured of that disease. But for the rest of us, the question tonight is, How's your spiritual health? Are you walking? Are you walking in love? Are you walking in, in, uh, in wisdom? Are you walking um, wisely, carefully, with intention? How are you walking? How is your spiritual health?